Section number 58 of the History of Chemistry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lisa McCleskey. The History of Chemistry by Thomas Thompson. Volume 2, Chapter 4, Part 4. It is now nine years since the first volume of the Untersuchungen was published. All those who are interested in analytical chemistry are anxious for the continuance of that admirable work. By this time, he must have collected ample materials for an additional volume, and it could not but add considerably to a reputation already deservedly high. There is no living chemist to whom analytical chemistry lies under greater obligations than to Brazilius, whether we consider the number or the exactness of the analyses which he has made. Jacob Berzelius was educated at Uppsala when Professor Afzelius, a nephew of Bergman, filled the chemical chair, and Eckberg was magister docens in chemistry. Afzelius began his chemical career with considerable eclat, his paper on sulfate of barites being possessed of very considerable merit but he is said to have soon lost his health and to have sunk, in consequence, into listless inactivity. Andrew Gustavus Eckberg was born in Stockholm on the 16th of January, 1767. His father was a captain in the Swedish Navy. He was educated at Kalmar and in 1784 went to Uppsala, where he devoted himself chiefly to the study of mathematics. He took his degree in 1788 when he wrote a thesis De Olies Seminum Expressis. In 1789 he went to Berlin, and on his return in 1790 he gave a specimen of his poetical talents by publishing a poem entitled Tal Ofer Frieden im Allensverich och Riesland, Discourse about the peace between Sweden and Russia. After this, he turned his attention to chemistry, and in 1794 was made chemier docens. In this situation, he continued till 1813, when he died on the 11th of February. He had been in such bad health for some time before his death as to be quite unable to discharge the duties of his situation. He published but little, and that little consisted almost entirely of chemical analyses. His first attempt was on phosphate of lime. Then he wrote a paper on the analysis of the topaz, the object of which was to explain Klaproth's method of dissolving hard stony bodies. He made an analysis of gadolinite and determined the chemical properties of yttria. During these experiments, he discovered the new metal to which he gave the name of tantalum, and which Dr. Wollaston afterwards showed to be the same with the columbium of Mr. Hatchet. He also published an analysis of the automolite, of an ore of titanium, and of the mineral water of Medivy. In this last analysis, he was assisted by Berzelius, who was then quite unknown to the chemical world. Berzelius has been much more industrious than his chemical contemporaries at Uppsala. His first publication was a work in two volumes on animal chemistry chiefly a compilation, with the exception of his experiments on the analysis of blood, which constitute an introduction to the second volume. This book was published in 1806 and 1808. 
In the year 1806, he and Heisinger began a periodical work entitled Aufhandlinger i Physik, Chemie och Mineralogie, of which six volumes in all were published, the last in 1818. In this work there occur 47 papers by Berzelius, some of them of great length and importance, which will be noticed afterwards, but by far the greatest part of them consist of mineral analyses. We have the analysis of cerium by Heisinger and Berzelius, together with an account of the chemical characters of the two oxides of cerium. In the fourth volume, he gives us a new chemical arrangement of minerals, founded on the supposition that they are all chemical compounds in definite proportions. Mr. Smithson had thrown out the opinion that silica is an acid, which opinion was taken up by Berzelius, who showed, by decisive experiments, that it enters into definite combinations with most of the bases. This happy idea enabled him to show that most of the stony minerals are definite compounds of silica with certain earths or metallic oxides. This system has undergone several modifications since he first gave it to the world, and I think it more than doubtful whether his last correction of it, published in the Memoirs of the Stockholm Academy for 1824, be quite as good as the first, which he published in 1815. The first arrangement was founded on the bases, the last upon the acids with which the bases are united. He was induced to alter his arrangement in consequence of Mitrelich's doctrine of isomorphism. But I conceive that the alterations which exist in the constitution of pyroxene, amphibole, garnet, and a few other minerals might be explained in a very simple way without admitting this doctrine of isomorphism, which if it do not, like Berthollet's hypothesis of indefinite combinations, overturn the whole principles of chemistry seems scarcely consistent with what we know respecting chemical combination. In the same volume, we have a set of experiments on columbium and its characters when reduced to the metallic state, together with an analysis of all the minerals containing columbium that were known in the year 1815. We have also a new examination of the properties of yttria, together with the analysis of a number of minerals containing both cerium and yttria, and the mode of separating these two substances from each other by means of sulfate of potash. In the sixth volume, we have his discovery of selenium, with an account of selenic acid and the different compounds which it forms. Since the year 1818, his papers have been all published in the Memoirs of the Stockholm Academy, but he has taken care to have translations of them inserted into Pogensdorf's Annalen and the Analyse de Chimie et de Physique. In the Stockholm Memoirs for 1819, we have his analysis of wavelight, showing that this mineral is a hydrous phosphate of alumina. The same analysis and discovery had been made by Fuchs, who published his results in 1818, but probably Brazilius had not seen the paper. At least he takes no notice of it. We have also, in the same volume, his analysis of euclase, of silicate of zinc, and his paper on the Prussiates. In the memoirs for 1820, we have, besides three others, his paper on the mode of analyzing the ores of nickel. In the memoirs for 1821, we have his paper on the alkaline sulfurates and his analysis of achmite. The specimen selected for this analysis was probably impure, 
for two successive analyses of it, made in my laboratory by Captain LaHunt, gave a considerable difference in the proportion of the constituents, and a different formula for the composition than that resulting from the constituents found by Berzelius. In the memoirs for 1822, we have his analysis of the mineral waters of Carlsbad, in 1823, he published his experiments on uranium, which were meant as a confirmation and extension of the examination of this substance previously made by Arvidsson. In the same year appeared his experiments on fluoric acid and its combinations, constituting one of the most curious and important of all the numerous additions which he has made to analytical chemistry. In 1824, we have his analysis of phosphate of yttria, a mineral found in Norway, of polygmonite, a mineral from the neighborhood of Christiania, where it occurs in the zircon cyanite, and remarkable for the great number of bases which it contains united to titanic acid, namely zirconia, oxide of iron, lime, oxide of manganese, oxide of cerium, and yttria. We have also his analysis of arseniate of iron, from Brazil and from Cornwall, and of chabasite from Pharaoh. In this last analysis, he mentions chabasites from Scotland, containing soda instead of lime. The only chabasites in Scotland that I know of occur in the neighborhood of Glasgow, and in none of these have I found any soda. But I have found soda instead of lime in chabasites from the north of Ireland, always crystallized in the form to which Howey has given the name of trirhomboidal. I think, therefore, that the chabasites analyzed by Arvidsson, to which Berzelius refers, must have been from Ireland and not from Scotland, and I think it may be a question whether this form of crystal, if it should always be found to contain soda instead of lime, ought not to constitute a peculiar species. In 1826, we have his very elaborate and valuable paper on sulfur salts. In this paper, he shows that sulfur is capable of combining with bodies in the same way as oxygen, and of converting the acidifiable bases into acids, and the alkalifiable bases into alkalis. These sulfur acids and alkalis unite with each other and form a new class of saline bodies, which may be distinguished by the name of sulfur salts. This subject has been since carried a good deal further by M. H. Rose, who has by means of it thrown much light on some mineral species hitherto quite inexplicable. Thus, what is called nickel glance is a sulfur salt of nickel. The acid is a compound of sulfur and arsenic, the base a compound of sulfur and nickel. Its composition may be represented thus, one atom disulfide of arsenic, one atom disulfide of nickel. In like manner, glance cobalt is one atom disulfide of arsenic, one atom disulfide of nickel. Zinconite is composed of three atoms sulfide of antimony, one atom sulfide of lead. And Jamesonite of two and a half atoms sulfide of antimony, one atom sulfide of lead. Feather ore of antimony, hitherto confounded with sulfuret of antimony, is a compound of five atoms sulfide of antimony, three atoms sulfide of lead. Gray copper ore, which has hitherto appeared so difficult to be reduced to anything like regularity, 
is composed of one atom sulfide of antimony or arsenic, two atoms sulfide of copper or silver. Dark red silver ore is composed of one atom sulfide of antimony, one atom sulfide of silver, and light red silver ore of two atoms sesquisulfide of arsenic, three atoms sulfide of silver. These specimens show how much light the doctrine of sulfur salts has thrown on the mineral kingdom. In 1828, he published his experimental investigation of the characters and compounds of palladium, rhodium, osmium, and iridium, and upon the mode of analyzing the different ores of platinum. One of the greatest improvements which Brazilius has introduced into analytical chemistry is his mode of separating those bodies which become acid when united to oxygen, as sulfur, selenium, arsenic, etc., from those that become alkaline, as copper, lead, silver, etc. His method is to put the alloy or ore to be analyzed into a glass tube and to pass over it a current of dry chlorine gas, while the powder in the tube is heated by lamp. The acidifiable bodies are volatile and pass over along the tube into a vessel of water placed to receive them, while the alkalifiable bodies remain fixed in the tube. This mode of analysis has been considerably improved by Rose, who availed himself of it in his analysis of gray copper ore and other similar compounds. Analytical chemistry lies under obligations to Brazilius not merely for what he has done himself, but for what has been done by those pupils who were educated in his laboratory. Bonsdorf, Nordenskuld, C.G. Gmielen, Rose, Wohler, Arvidsson, have given us some of the finest examples of analytical investigations with which the science is furnished. P.A. von Bonsdorf was a professor of Abo, and after that university was burnt down, he moved to the new locality in which it was planted by the Russian government. His analysis of the minerals which crystallize in the form of the amphibole constitutes a model for the young analyst to study. Whether we consider the precision of the analyses or the methods by which the different constituents were separated and estimated. His analysis of red silver ore first demonstrated that the metals in it were not in the state of oxides. The nature of the combination was first completely explained by Rose after Berzelius's paper on the sulfur salts had made its appearance. His paper on the acid properties of several of the chlorides has served considerably to extend and to rectify the views first proposed by Berzelius respecting the different classes of salts. Niels Nordenskjold is superintendent of the mines in Finland. His Bidrag til Namari Kanindum of Finland's Mineralia Ochgianosi was published in 1820. It contains a description and analysis of 14 species of Lapland minerals, several of them new and all of them interesting. The analyses were conducted in Berzelius's laboratory and are excellent. In 1827, he published a tabular view of the mineral species, arranged chemically, in which he gives the crystalline form, hardness, and specific gravity, together with the chemical formulas for the composition. 
Sijig Mielen is professor of chemistry at Tübingen. He has devoted the whole of his attention to chemical analysis and has published a great number of excellent ones, particularly in Swiger's journal. His analysis of helvine and of the tourmaline may be specified as particularly valuable. In this last mineral, he demonstrated the presence of boracic acid. Leopold Gmielen, professor of chemistry at Heidelberg, has also distinguished himself as an analytical chemist. His system of chemistry, which is at present publishing, promises to be the best and most perfect which Germany has produced. Henry Rose, of Berlin, is the son of that M. Rose who was educated by Klaproth, and afterwards became the intimate friend and fellow laborer of that illustrious chemist. He has devoted himself to analytical chemistry with indefatigable zeal, and has favored us with a prodigious number of new and admirably conducted analyses. His analyses of pyroxenes, of the ores of titanium, of gray copper ore, of silver glance, of red silver ore, miragerite, polybasite, etc., may be mentioned as examples. In 1829, he published a volume on analytical chemistry, which is by far the most complete and valuable work of the kind that has hitherto appeared, and ought to be carefully studied by all those who wish to make themselves masters of the difficult but necessary art of analyzing compound bodies. Wohler is professor of chemistry in the Polytechnic School of Berlin. He does not appear to have turned his attention to analytical chemistry, but rather towards extending our knowledge of the compounds which the different simple bodies are capable of forming with each other. His discovery of cyanic acid may be mentioned as a specimen. He is active and young. Much, therefore, may be expected from him. Augustus Arvidsson has distinguished himself by the discovery of the new fixed alkali, lithia, and petalite and spodumene. It has been lately ascertained at Moscow by M. R. Herman, and the experiments have been repeated and confirmed by Berzelius that lithia is a much lighter substance than it was found to be by Arvidsson, its atomic weight being only 1.75. We have from Arvidsson an important set of experiments on uranium and its oxides, and on the action of hydrogen on the metallic sulfurets. He has likewise analyzed a considerable number of minerals with great care, but of late years he seems to have lost his activity. His analysis of chrysoberyl does not possess the accuracy of the rest. By some inadvertence, he has taken a compound of glucina and alumina for silica. I ought to have included Walmstedt and Trollet-Walkmeister among the Swedish chemists who have contributed important papers towards the progress of analytical chemistry, the memoirs of the former on chrysolite and of the latter on the garnets being peculiarly valuable. But it would extend this work to an almost interminable length if I were to particularize every meritorious experimenter. This must plead my excuse for having omitted the names of Buchholz, Galen, Fuchs, Dumasnil, Dobriner, Kupfer, and various other meritorious chemists who have contributed so much to the perfecting of the chemical analysis of the mineral kingdom. 
but it would be unpardonable to leave out the name of M. Mitterlich, professor of chemistry in Berlin, and successor of Klaproth, who was also a pupil of Berzelius. He has opened a new branch of chemistry to our consideration. His papers on isomorphous bodies, on the crystalline forms of various sets of salts, on the artificial formation of various minerals, do him immortal honor and will hand him down to posterity as a fit successor of his illustrious predecessors in the chemical chair of Berlin, a city in which an uninterrupted series of first-rate chemists have followed each other for more than a century, and where, thanks to the fostering care of the Prussian government, the number was never greater than at the present moment. The most eminent analytical chemists at present in France are Laugier, a nephew and successor of Fourcroy, as professor of chemistry in the Jardin du Roy, and Berthier, who has long had the superintendence of the laboratory of the School of Mines. Laugier has not published many analyses to the world, but those with which he has favored us appear to have been made with great care and are in general very accurate. Berthier is a much more active man, and has not merely given us many analyses, but has made various important improvements in the analytical processes. His mode of separating arsenic acid and determining its weight is now generally followed, and I can state from experience that his method of fusing minerals with oxide of lead, when the object is to detect an alkali, is both accurate and easy. Berthier is young and active and zealous. We may therefore expect a great deal from him hereafter. End of section 58